Welcome to Between Two Chairs, Demystifying Commercial Real Estate, the podcast that brings you the latest insights and trends on the South Florida commercial real estate market with your hosts, Fernando Arencibia Jr. and Jennifer Woolman. In each episode, we dive into the world of commercial real estate and break down complex concepts to make them accessible for everyone. Whether you're a real estate professional, a curious investor, or just interested in the South Florida market in general, Between Two Chairs is the podcast for you. So pull up a chair and join us. and welcome to another episode of uh, Between Two Chairs. My name is Fernando Arencivia Jr. And with me, as always, is my partner in crime, Jennifer Woolman. Hi, Jennifer. <laughs> Good morning, everybody. Thank you for joining us. Yeah, it's been a whirlwind 2024. I can't believe we're already in February. The first two weeks of January were packed. We didn't get to ease into a slow week. Starting off after New Year's, we went full sprint. We had a meeting in Tallahassee for Great American Realtor Days, known as GARD. Every time there is a presidential election, the state of Florida moves up their legislative session to the beginning of January instead of March, which is when we normally hold it. And then immediately following guard, we had our Florida Realtors midwinter meeting, which were very, very heavy on policy and public policy and some of the issues that we are facing, not only in the country, but um, specifically in Florida. So for a lot of commercial real estate brokers, 2023 was kind of a dud of a year. Even for South Florida, we're one of the top five office markets for annual rent growth. Sales transactions were down significantly by more than half from 2022. But that being said, the price per square foot was only down slightly um, from 2022 and still well above 2019 numbers, which makes me want to remind everybody that you know, we keep saying, oh, sales are down, transactions are down, the economy's down, but we're comparing it to 2022. And 2021 and 2022 across the country for just about everything were anomalies. I don't care what business you were in, if you were up or down, it was a complete anomaly because the pandemic threw everything on a global scale out of whack. So just keep in mind, you know, keep everything in, in perspective. So we also have a 97% occupancy rate which may, for our apartment market, which makes it the, the most competitive in the country and in the top five highest rents. So, but that being said, everybody is expecting 2024 to be better, right? Everybody's expecting rates to drop. It's a presidential election year. There's a lot of dry powder sitting on the dry on the sidelines in terms of investments. But I still feel personally, and this is what I want to get into with you, Fernando, for this episode, is I still feel like in spite of all of the optimism and what a great market, we 
personally happen to be in, there's still some headwinds, um, not only across the country, but in, in South Florida. And we spoke about a lot of those in Orlando, which, by the way, was freezing compared to South Florida. I don't know about you, but ev everything below Okeechobee is kind of where I want to be, <laughs> just because it's warmer in the winter. But um, You don't like those 36-degree mornings oh my, oh my in Orlando? It was, it, it was such a shock. I went out, and I thought it was going to be colder, so I took, like, a heavier running outfit. I walked out, that blast hit my face. I teared up, my nose started running. I turned around and went back inside. I mean, yeah, no, no, no. I'm definitely a South Florida girl. Um, but anyway, some of the issues that we're seeing across the country is insurance, right? And I think we got a lot of insights on insurance while we were up there. And I, I did find out some things that I didn't know about. And apparently a lot of people don't know about. So why don't we start out with the FEMA issue, if you can go into that a sure. little bit. Well, it, it's an interesting thing because in these meetings, you always uh, learn something new. And, and one of the issues, and I was actually pulling up the FEMA regulations, is basically if you are in an area that has been devastated and FEMA has come in to provide assistance, if FEMA has given assistance to a property that has been ravaged by flood, for example, the expectation based on FEMA regulations, uh, once you take that money, it requires the applicants who receive that FEMA assistance to purchase flood insurance for future flood damage to any of the insurable property. Now, that makes sense, right? You receive FEMA assistance to fix your house, and now what FEMA says is, well, you gotta carry flood insurance to make sure that if this happens in the future, you're taken care of. What I think was a surprise to many is that that carries on to a new owner of the property. So if you turn around and you sell the property, then that new owner is also required to carry flood insurance because that requirement doesn't stay with the individual that received the FEMA assistance. It stays with the property that received the FEMA assistance. You know, And the penalty for not carrying that is that if there is a natural disaster, God forbid, and another flood uh, event, and it damages your property, then that property would not qualify for FEMA assistance without having flood insurance. Correct, so, and and that makes sense, right? right? So the lesson here is to make sure to ask for every single property you're purchasing whether or not there has been a flood event and if there has, has FEMA money been collected because a lot of people who own their properties flood out or who self-insure commercial properties um, might need that assistance when a major storm comes through. Yeah. And they might not even know that it's a regulation. They might not know themselves. So when they go to sell the property, they might think nothing of right. saying, I had FEMA funds. Or if the buyer has no idea that FEMA funds or, or knows that FEMA funds were paid, but that therefore it's required for them to have insurance in order yeah. to qualify for any government assistance it kind of becomes too late after the fact. So again, my, my purpose for bringing this up was not only to let everybody know about it, but right. to make sure that everybody, if you're a seller, disclose, and if you're a buyer, ask for that disclosure. Yeah. Exactly. Now, I, I do want to say that there is some positive news, not overwhelmingly, right, but a big part of the heavy lift that happened last year in regards to addressing the, you know, 
the high cost of insurance in Florida dealt with um, you know tort reform and litigation and to that end we're starting to see some of the movement or moving in the direction that we were expecting where we start to begin to see um, you know future wise more competition in the market meaning more private insurers coming into our marketplace so that that competition can foster you know a leveling first of cost and uh, and eventually a more competitive market when it comes to um, you know cost for insurance one of the things that we're starting to monitor is for example if we're looking at tort reform being a big part of this uh, there are some early signs that the property insurance market is improving and that it is stabilizing and one of them is for example citizens total number of new litigated cases that were filed through the first 10 months of 2023 were down 17 percent compared to that same period you know in the prior year why is that significant because that number was never less from the year before that number was always higher and the number of policies and the and the volume of of those of that litigation was always higher so now we're starting to see that you know the litigation is working to that end uh, the other thing is that you know a big part of this was the process of depopulating you know citizens and we're seeing less number of policies that are being covered by citizens which means that private insurances have come in to uh, to fill that gap right and the exposure is also lower for citizens all things that are that are positive things here and one of the things that I think one of the most positive things is that for years we have always been hearing about carriers that were insolvent right and that all of a sudden they could no longer carry uh, or reinsure the coverages and you know for the first time in a long time that has not been the case in 2023 that was not the case in 2023 and we don't expect that to be a case in 2024 in fact we, we, we expect to see new carriers come into the marketplace and so again it's it's not a, a, a dramatic right shift but we are trending in the right direction right and I think you know the legislature has done a good job at trying to trying to speed it up these things take time right. and again insurance and reinsurance is an issue globally just because of all of the major weather events that have been happening right. throughout the world so it's kind of a period of adjustment I know one of the things that the governor um, has proposed in his budget was to eliminate temporarily some of the taxes and fees that are charged on insurance policies to try to help, you know, decrease. Everything that we're doing right now is to try to help decrease the immediate cost while all of these um, changes go into effect and we're able to see some positive influx in the market. And that segment of, of the budget is is significant because it can save homeowners you know between five and six percent off of their premium so you know it's a significant savings there you know people can see that effect in their premium this year if, if it passes correct the other thing that um that we heard about and we're starting to see more of in the market and we want our listeners to be aware of because again it comes to what questions you need to ask when you're buying a property or insurance for that property. Right. And some of those things are that insurance companies are now offering policies that 
only cover the actual cost, not the replacement cost of the building or of specific parts of the building. Like they might not include a roof. Well, if you own an office condo and your condo association buys some type of policy like that, be careful because there are a couple of issues. One is that if there is a major event and your association doesn't have the reserves to cover, let's say, the full price of a brand new roof, those mean special assessments for you as the owner. And the other thing that it can mean is difficulty in sales, right? It could be difficult to get financing when you go to sell that if a mortgage lender is looking at the overall building, not just your unit which within that building, which is what they tend to do. So those are just things to consider and look out for. They're not bad or good. They're just alternatives to the current cost of insurance that both buyers and sellers need to be aware of. Yeah, you know, you, there's always that concern that not only are we paying more, but we're getting less coverage, right? And Correct. so that's that's a big component in this. We've always found it interesting that if you have a mortgage, you're required to insure the replacement value of the entire building, regardless of what uh, mortgage amount you know you owe. But interestingly enough, if you unable to get insurance, you know the the lender will you know place what we call force place insurance but they will only cover right the amount of the loan and so in many cases people that own commercial property are finding it cheaper to utilize the force place insurance rather than insuring themselves and so then that brings up the question you know should that be a requirement for you to reinsure the replacement cost rather than insure the amount that is owed to to a lender and there is a bill that's been introduced in in the legislature that would allow that for both commercial buildings and homeowners where an yeah. owner would be allowed basically to do exactly that. They would right. be able to take out insurance only to cover the mortgage or if there isn't a mortgage, the line of credit or whatever. Again, that is kind of a, a buyer owner beware because that's going to change your numbers. Yes, it's going to decrease your insurance costs, but you know, it should increase the amount that you put into reserves for anything that could happen down the road. So you need to make sure that when you're calculating your financials for purchasing a building or you're recalculating them based on this difference in insurance that you allow for that what if that now the insurance company is not going to cover. So, ojo, I always put oh, ojo on yes. those things that I <laughs> need to out. look up for. Watch out. Yeah. And um, some other issues that came up were the premises bill. Do you want to yeah. speak about that a little bit? Yeah. I mean, you know, it's just been introduced in the Senate. Uh, it hasn't had a lot of movement. We're, we're still early in session. We, you know, we got about 40 days left of, of a 60-day session, uh, legislative session, and this could come up in other times as well but basically what currently happens in the state of florida is that you know if you own a store or you know a, a restaurant a house right <laughs> and somebody walks in to um you know breaks into your place um or goes into your place of business to commit a crime 
and they get injured, you as the owner of that store or a house could be liable for their injury even though they were committing a crime, right? And so there's something called the premises bill that uh, actually, actually is Senate Bill 1152. And, um, and here's how it reads, it's very direct. And it basically says it requires that the trier of fact in actions for damages arising out of intentional torts of third parties consider the fault of all persons known or unknown alleged to have contributed to the injury. So basically saying that if you're coming in here to commit a crime and you get hurt, you're contributing to that injury. You, you had no that you had no purpose for being there other than to do something illegal, right? right. And so, you know, we'll, we'll monitor that and see how it goes, but that, that just that's just part of the exposure that small business owners and really, and, and, and homeowners are exposed to, right, currently. I feel like there should be like a slapping forehead emoji um, inserted yeah. here because to I me, know. that law is so ridiculous. I remember hearing about that years ago when we were tenting the property and we were told that we had to be careful. And one of the things that the company really focused on that was doing the tenting was how nobody would be able to get in because if they did, right. if somebody did get in and literally gassed themselves, that it would be right. my fault technically. Yeah. And to me, that is... I can't use the word because we're public, but like that's ridiculous. So I, I really like this bill. I hope it gets yeah. some traction right. that if you're, you know, committing a crime, yeah, it's an, it's not my well, fault you if you fall down and break your yeah. neck. Yeah. yeah, at the very least. Yeah, no, um, no, for sure. The other interesting thing that you brought up in, in our public yeah. policy meeting, and we're just researching it now, but one of yeah. the issues that I found really interesting considering how many LLCs are formed right. throughout the country is the issue between single-member LLCs yeah. filed in the state of Florida and filed in, let's say, Delaware. Right. Can you expand on that a little bit? Because yeah. I know it's important to us, not only as brokers who might be licensed as an LLC, yeah. but also for people who are investing in commercial property and might be or investment property in general and yeah. purchasing the property as a single member LLC. Yeah, so um, they call it single member or sole member LLCs and many people have these kind of limited liability companies, right? And what is a sole member LLC? It's basically a, a limited liability company where there's only one member, right? So it might be you and you decide I'm gonna start a company you know, I'm the only owner, 100% ownership of the company. And so I'm gonna create a sole member LLC. Well, a multi-member LLC is obviously has more than one member, but there is a difference in the liability exposure. Sole member LLCs don't have the same liability protections as multiple member LLCs. In the what state of Florida. In the state of Florida. In really, you know, in the majority in of states, states, right? And so what, what does that mean? Well, if you're a multiple member LLC and uh, your company gets sued and you are found liable and there is a, you know, financial penalty, uh, the remedy is what, what they call a charging order, which means that the assets and revenue of your, of your company are at peril, right? But your personal assets are protected, hence limited liability, right? However, 
in the sole member LLC, what the Supreme Court has decided was that to the party that is damaged or the debtor, for example, that is going after your asset, the charging order is not the only remedy. In other words, they can put a, a charging order so that they can go after the, the assets and revenue of the company, but they can also go after your personal assets and your personal revenue. So that is problematic. It's problematic for a few reasons. Number one, there's a lot of people that are exposed. In our industry, is even more so pro problematic because if you're a real estate agent and you want to incorporate as a company, the Department of Business Regulations uh, and Professional Regulations, the EBPR, requires you to be only, you can only register as a sole member LLC, which means that that leaves a lot of real estate agents you know, exposed, that leaves a lot of people exposed in the state of Florida. This is why you see a lot of people that register in Delaware, for example, which is one of four states that has equal protection, let's call it that, for LLCs or Alaska being another one, right? And so I think this is an issue that needs to be uh, researched and, 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 you know, I'm happy that we're, we're in the process of that. And uh, perhaps this is part of the consideration. And one of the things that people say in the banking industry is that you have to know your client. You know, we say that as well. You need to know who you're working with. And, you know, part of what I find really interesting here is that if people were registering in Florida because they had equal protections rather than in Delaware or Alaska, it would be easier to find who is the actual owner of the LLC. So, you know, addressing this issue might actually have some side positive effects as well. I find that to be a very interesting positive for the state of Florida that has touted itself, rightfully so, as a very business-friendly state. And I think that that's a pathway that we want to continue. Correct. I, I, I agree. And I I love it. And I don't, I, to me, it's a no brainer for the yeah. state um, because we are a business friendly state. Right. That's and right. Yeah. that's why we've been so successful. <laughs> and finally, great news for everybody who rents commercial property yeah. in the state. Um, the state sales tax on leases is decreasing again this year. Mm -hmm. It's currently at four and a half percent, which we were able to get to kick in in December of 2023, and it should drop down to two percent sometime later this year. They're they're thinking later this summer, but we actually have an inside scoop that it might be earlier. So that's super important because that'll adjust again. Being business friendly, that'll adjust adjust a lot of our, especially the small mom and pops who's. Right. They're getting a lot of pass-throughs on triple yeah. nets and everything else. Um, and this will yeah. help because at least it's, you know, it's some money off of their rent that has to be collected. For sure. And again, going back to the business friendly and what the realtors yeah. do to help support our business and commercial brokers yeah. is that, you know, we've been hammering away at this for, gosh, I don't even know how many years, at least five, it's probably closer to 10. <laughs> but, um, and well, now we're trying to, once we yeah. get it down to two and, and it's friendly, it's, it's yeah. something that the legislature is friendly to because we did find a backup source of revenue for that called, with the Wayfair rule. Um, yeah. But the main thing is that we're trying to get it dropped to zero and then in addition to that have it eliminated from the municipal side because although the state sales tax is four and a half going to two every single county with i think the exception of one or two in the state of florida charges their own additional surtax on top of that right 
So we're hoping to eliminate that as well. Yeah. Yeah. This is interesting because I found out yesterday this issue first came up 14 years ago. It really began to gather momentum about seven years ago, where it became part of our conversation with lawmakers. Every year, it was one of our talking points. And this is really where I find there's been an incredible, uh, you know, if there was an award for creative advocacy, this would be it for me, because first two years, we were just trying to prove the concept. I mean, it went down nominally 0.2%. Right, and we're the only state that has it. This is the only <laughs> state that has a sales tax on commercial leases. But it, it's very difficult to get a legislature that has has been used to getting this revenue, which by the way, every percent of that tax represents about $380 million of revenue to, to the general fund of the state. And so, you know, it's very difficult to say to the state, well, just give up on, <laughs> on this money, right? Because we're the only ones that have it and, and all those things. But once the wafer decision came back, and for those of you who, who, who do not know, but what, what the wafer decision made is that it required online retailers to collect state uh, sales taxes and to remit those, those sales taxes to the state of Florida. So now that we knew that, that those funds were coming in into the state, we were able to start to get more of a thread of reduction of business rent tax. However, that happened right before the pandemic. So we right. were you know, concerned, well, the pandemic is going to take all the air out of the room when we're discussing a reduction in business rent tax. But something very creatively happened, which was to say, once the unemployment fund gets replenished to a certain level at the state of Florida, then the business rent tax would drop to 2%. And we're very happy to say that we were expecting that number to uh, be reduced by August of 2024. And it's looking more than likely that in June of this year, mm -hmm. we'll have to see that reduction. And look, you know, when you have business owners that are dealing with higher common area maintenance fees, higher insurance, to have a 4% reduction in what they're paying, uh, it's a significant thing. And, and it's a perfect time to have that come in. <laughs> agreed, agreed. Yeah, and I think right. we need to do another episode because I was thinking about the common area fees and everything. Right. And I was thinking about them, especially in like some, the class A buildings and yeah. some of these areas, just because I've been showing a lot of them lately. Right. And I'm shocked at how big the common area factor has become. So that's for another episode. But usually we used to look at a, you know, a no specific doubt. common area factor as being the norm. And now it's significantly higher. And I think that's yeah. so that's a separate topic. But yeah. to your point with the sales tax, since that's on the tenant, right, and all of their general costs are going yeah. up, decreasing, decreasing this even a little yeah. bit helps, right? And it helps all of us because yeah. as a consumer, right. I'm tired of paying the higher prices, right. right, for everything. No, it's interesting. And I'll just throw this as a teaser maybe for that next episode. Yeah. But I showed a property, they were asking $26 a square foot. Their common area factor was $16. So that's 61% of the base rent was the common area. I mean, you know, that's that's a significant that's a significant number, you know. Right. And and we've seen that. We've seen that with our own clients that are having our own landlord clients that are having to raise rents. Their triple nets have gone up so much because between the taxes, right, property taxes in the state of Florida are capped at 10% increase per year, but still you add a 10% increase in taxes plus whatever increase in insurance, which in some cases is 20 to 30% or more. Yeah. 
you pass that through to your tenant as a landlord, you're going to get to a point, well, one, you can't increase your own rents, right? right. And what's going into your pocket, because at some point yeah. you're going to empty out your retail center or your office building right. or whatever, because yeah. to your point, the, the pass throughs become almost as much, if not more of the, as of the base rent. And a lot of, a lot of property owners are making those decisions and, you know, they, on, on its face, some people might say, well, okay, what's the big deal? You're covering your expenses, you're, but you're not increasing. Well, the thing is that now the value of that money uh, is significantly reduces, right? Because if you have 5% inflation and now it can't even go up 3%, right? right? Now that, that, that money is, that dollar is not worth what it, what, it, what it used to be and I can't keep up with CPI. And uh, so it, it does make a difference and it adds up, you know, it compounds and we know the power of compounding, so. Correct. Yeah. Correct. Absolutely. So, well, I was hoping to end on a more fun note. That wasn't no, a very fun note, no. but uh, but things what? are still good in Florida. <laughs> um, I, you know, I'm hoping that you see yeah. the value in a lot of these laws and bills and the yeah. discussions that are going on that are still very pro-business and very pro-real estate in our beautiful sunshine state. Yeah. Do you have a fun stat? Well, you know, you, you were mentioning about there, there is a lot of positivity that is surrounding these issues because, you know, I think part of these issues is also the fact that we are a large economy, you know, and I was looking this up. And so Florida's GDP growth now makes it the 14th largest economy in the world. Wow. We are the third largest economy in the country and the 14th. So 195 countries, we are the 14th largest economy. So that comes with it a lot of intricacies, you know, and a lot of things that, that have to be addressed. But, you know, it, it does speak to the fact that a very business-friendly state that uh, attracts industry, enterprising individuals as well, and talent. And so, you know, doing what we can to make sure that that remains the case is an important an important job and an important part that you know a lot of a lot of people don't realize the effect that real estate has on that and that real estate agents or realtors specifically provide as an economic engine and, a, and as a force for good in our communities. And I just want to point out because there's always naysayers. I know never among our listeners, our listeners are yeah. absolutely positively perfect. But for we're, those we're talking who talking about you, Vivian. <laughs> <laughs> Shout out to Vivian Masia, yeah. who I think ha doesn't know how to turn us off on her iPod <laughs> downloads, and and so she may, gets may every she single never one. Find out. Exactly, never find exactly. Out. But I wanted to point out that this state and the realtors specifically also acknowledge the importance that our environment and natural resources play Absolutely. in the reason why people want to move here and so we do a balancing act and the governor and the legislature is always always focused on how can we protect our beaches? How can we make sure our water's clean? How do, what do we do to improve the Everglades and redo the aquifer? And we have the largest water management project in history going on with restoration of the Everglades. So I just want to point that out that, you yeah. know, we're not doing it in, you know. In an irresponsible way. In an irresponsible right. way. And we yeah. definitely acknowledge the economic impact yeah. and the importance to the quality of life that Florida's amazingly beautiful. I saw deer in Orlando. It was the weirdest thing. <laughs> I, I saw two deer grazing and the backdrop 
where like all these roller coasters and everything else. But anyway, so it was it was awesome to see. So my fun stat is really short and sweet. According to Florida Incorporation Services, more than 100,000 LLCs are formed every year in Florida. It didn't specify between right. single so, and, yeah. and multiple, but yeah. I'm, I thought that was interesting. So to your point, it's a, it's a good sure. issue for the state of Florida to take on. Till next time, everybody, Absolutely. have a great week. Thank you for joining us and pulling up a chair. And uh, we look forward to uh, hearing any feedback from you guys. Uh, you know, it's very much appreciated sharing the podcast with, with your friends. Uh, it's always very encouraged as well. Oh, and let's <laughs> let's just mention for those who sure. were detail oriented and heard yeah. about our hashtag B2C. Yes. Um, yeah. <laughs> What were we doing? A competition or a, yeah. or a giveaway? Well, when we did hashtag B2C, we realized that it's um, business to consumer. So <laughs> we kind of got lost out. So we're coming up with something else that we yeah. apologize to everybody <laughs> who participated, who got lost in our hashtag B2C. Yeah. And um, we'll, we'll fix it up and we'll do better up. research next time. <laughs> Thank you for playing. Thank you.